You're listening to the Islamic Sustainable Finance and Investment Podcast, the show discussing the latest and most exciting developments of Sharia-compliant sustainable finance. This episode is brought to you by Chagamas Berhad in conjunction with its 35th anniversary. For more information on Malaysia's National Mortgage Corporation, log on to www.chagamas.com.my. Time and time again, in our conversations with industry players in the Islamic and sustainable finance space, standardization, or the lack thereof, has consistently emerged as a main challenge for the asset class to scale up. My name is Mindy Tatan, and to understand the context and how we can move forward as an industry, we speak to Christina Alnes, the Director and Head of Product Strategy of Cicero Shades of Green, an independent provider of second opinions on Green Bond Framework. Christina, market participants consistently highlight the lack of universally accepted legal and commercial definition of a green bond or sustainable related finance as one of the biggest challenges to tapping the green capital market. We've nonetheless seen some efforts from the EU, the FCA and other regulators, you know, attempt to address these concerns. Um, what is your take on the stake of standardization within the green finance space? Sure, thanks for that for that question. And I think to start, we're at a very natural place in the green financial markets. When the first green bond was issued over 10 years ago, it started out as a completely voluntary market. And eventually these voluntary guidelines were developed. And now as the green finance markets have matured, the regulators are seeing that it's time for us to get more involved. So Some years ago, they were getting involved just in sort of supporting these emerging green financial markets. And now many of them, and I think rightly so, are seeing that we also should be getting involved more on the regulatory side. I think it's a a very natural state, but what we're also seeing, I think, which is a natural, um, which, which comes from this, is that we have a lot of different types of regulation and a lot of different, especially taxonomies proliferating in the market. So I think now there's five regions or jurisdictions that have uh, implemented green finance taxonomies. And these are more detailed guidance on what constitutes uh, green projects. And there are around 20 additional countries that are um, considering these green taxonomies. And of course, and then you have the, the still the international voluntary guidelines that issuers also have to um, adapt to. And then some jurisdictions also have process guidelines like like Malaysia and the SRI Sukuk guidelines they have. So, of course, I understand that as the green finance markets are global, that this could seem like a lot for the issuers and the investors to understand. But what I also think is that right now we're in this phase of the market where regulators are just starting to get involved. And, you know, this isn't a word you often hear a lot when it comes to regulation, but I think we're in a bit of a creative chaos space right now. And that I also think regulators, and we see the starts to this, are seeing the need to start harmonizing across the different regulations. So that I think right now there's a lot going on and it can be confusing, but that in some time um, that it will become much clearer and that we will have a much more uh, global standard 
at some level, at least, um, when it comes to green finance. I love it. Creative chaos, I think, really beautifully encapsulates the state of the market in the moment. And, you know, you talk about standardization, harmonization. And when we speak to market participants, many are actually calling for an international benchmark. Well, you know, some have called for localized regulations. What do you think is the most pragmatic and effective approach? I think the ideal approach here would be if we could globally agree on a set of principles. And, you know, there's already today these accepted standards when it comes to the process for green finance. So for green bonds and green sukuks, there is this um, process based on the ICMA guidelines mainly that, you know, there should be a, a framework in place that has certain elements. It's market practice to get an SBO. And I think that if we can get also a set of of principles on what um, is uh, what can be defined as green, that that would be very helpful. And right now, I understand, for example, uh, the ASEAN Green Bond Guidelines excludes fossil fuel, whereas the EU taxonomy, the the current version, allows for some natural gas. And of course, I understand that that is a situation that's confusing to investors because they're not quite sure if these bonds then are comparable. So what I think would be helpful if, is if we could all agree on these principles. For example, if we are to look at green buildings, if we could agree that you know a green building needs to have work both on the embodied emissions, so the building materials, but also on energy efficiency, that's a, a good starting point at a global level. But then when it comes to setting specific energy efficiency thresholds, I think that that's just not practical to do at a global level. So I think that when you get down to the really nitty gritty details, that that really needs to be at a um, regional or even a national level just to make it practical, because we also don't have a lot of time here. So we need to really make sure that whatever is happening at the regulatory level, or this is really my plea to the regulators to make sure that you're not spending too much time developing these regulations so that you slow down the green green markets, right? Because we really need to, to ramp up green financing and make sure that anything is supportive of that growth. Right. And time pressures aside, there have also been a lot of concerns over greenwashing of financial products, you know, even by firms which have put in place their own green frameworks. This is, of course, a huge issue, especially for investors. How do you think we can mitigate such issues? Yeah, that's a question I get a lot. And I think I would like to talk a bit about what I see as some of the main causes of greenwashing and then more specifically about how to address this in, in green finance. So I've been working in this space here for over 10 years, first as a consultant. So I was sort of in the on the inside of the sustainability department. And of course, now in our role as reviewers, we get to talk to a lot of sustainability professionals in, in different organizations. And my sense is that, yes, there is a lot of greenwashing going on in the sense that there's a lot of miscommunication about sustainability and and green aspects, but that a lot of it comes down to not malintention, but a lack of really detailed understanding. I can just give an example here to really, I think, clarifies what I mean here. So there are a lot of ESG ratings out there, um, which I I guess will be familiar to most of the audience of this podcast. And of course, an ESG rating, if you look into what it actually 
is it's a measure of how well a company manages the environmental, social, and governance risks that it faces. So it's a really good measure if you want to see, you know, how what who's best in class in the sector at managing the risks that they have going on. How well are the processes in the company at at managing these environmental risks? Um, but it's not really doesn't really address how sustainable a company is. So this is why you can get these oil and gas companies with really high ESG ratings, for example. But this is a bit of a a, a sort of a difficult issue to unpack. So I really understand that a lot of both investors and, and companies, they're communicating a high ESG rating as we are a sustainable company or this is a sustainable company. And I think, you know, that's not just, that's not completely accurate, but it's very understandable. I think that is is what we're seeing a lot. Um, so in general, I would say that just for greenwashing in general, capacity building is really key if you're thinking about about sort of solving that problem. Um, so it's really encouraging that a lot of the the investors, but also the investment banks, are building up really solid, incredible ESG teams. And I think that's that's really going to help in general. And then when it comes specifically to green finance, I think that here for the for the green bonds and green sukuks, there's already a really good process in place where you have the market practice of a third party going in and reviewing the green bond framework. So what you get there is a third party independent view on the green claims. And I think that's been really key to building up investor trust in those markets. And I think what's important when you're looking at new financial instruments, for example, the SRI linked Sukuks, that you really pay attention to the quality of the SPOs and that investors ask questions about and are really engaged in the development of those third-party reviews to make sure that they have high quality and that you can get that same good dynamic in that um, space. And I just wanted to comment um, very briefly, specifically on the SRI linked uh, products because that is something that there's been a lot of greenwashing claims around so this is the where the the instrument can be general purpose but it's linked to the to uh, the issuer obtaining certain sustainability practices or sorry targets and i would just want to say that when we're doing the reviews of this we review the targets of course but we think it's also important to provide really thorough uh, information on the context of the issuer so that it's very clear to the investor what type of company that that and the type of activities um, that the company has as a starting point. Um, and then, of course, the, the ambition level and if the targets are, are relevant, but then also to look at the strategies the issuer has to obtain those. And that, you know, I think really those three aspects are important to ensure that it's credible. So that's just one example of, of how I think these third-party reviews working with the issuers and investors are important to build trust uh, in green finance markets. And building on that, for Islamic issuers or Islamic financial institutions considering entering the ESG space, are there extra considerations to take into account? I mean, what should they keep in mind when designing their own frameworks? Sure, and actually on on the contrary, I would say that the bar is is generally lower for Islamic issuers to go into the ESG and SRI space because there's already a nice overlap at the principal level between the Islamic finance principles and the the SRI 
principles. And then also there, when you're issuing a sukuk, you have to ring fence assets. And that's also one of the key um, issues that you have to, to work with in terms of the, a green bond or an, an SRI sukuk is this ring fencing. And in my experience, also Islamic issuers are already used to having this third party come in and re- review the Sharia compliance so that working with a second party opinion provider like us, the questions are very different, but they're used to that process. So to me, I would say that, you know, if you're considering issuing a, um, a sukuk to also look into issuing it as an SRI sukuk at the same time, because I think there would be substantially less work. Um, that being said, of course, you know, the, the pr- at the principal level, I think there's a lot of alignment, but of course you do have to create a separate um, green or social or SRI linked sukuk framework for that. But I do think that, um, yeah, that at a, at a principal level, there's a really nice overlap. And something I would like to see as this market evolves is that there's even tighter um, that you know you, you can even merge in, in, in an even tighter way the Islamic and ESG principles so that you can have more of a of a joint review or or a joint framework. But I think that's a little bit down the line. Absolutely. And is Cicero seeing any increase in green sukuk framework inquiries or requests? I mean, is Cicero working on any green sukuk frameworks at the moment? So we're certainly seeing strong interest from the region, but I think we were very active in the beginning of the the SRI Sukuk market. As I I mentioned when we were chatting a little bit before the recording, I actually was involved and had the the great honor of writing the second party opinion for the very first Sukuk, green Sukuk issued by Tadao Energy. And we were uh, worked with some of the, the very first ones. And then my sense is that as the market developed, the local providers got more and more involved. And, you know, of course, I would love the business, but in a way, I think it's also positive that you have this local um, market also for the second party opinion providers growing up at, that can really drive also the the market development at a local and regional level. But of course, that being said, we're seeing very strong interest from the region. So we certainly expect to be working on more green or SRI linked sukuks. Earlier, you mentioned creative chaos. So I'm curious to know what is your market outlook for green finance regulations or standardizations for next year? So I think next year will be a very interesting year for green finance because this is the year that a lot of these taxonomies and regulations, including the EU, will be actually tested out practically in the market. So I think that that this is going to be, we're, we're so excited to follow this development and to see, okay, now that you, now you know, the regulators have developed, for example, the EU taxonomy, and now we're going to see the first actual EU green bond to see how that, that is done in practice. And um, and also similarly, in in many of the other markets, we're expecting um, that you're going to get more of this practical experience, but also that there's going to be now a dialogue at the global level of how can we harmonize some, start harmonizing some of these frameworks to really help facilitate and sort of get us past this creative chaos and into something that is easier to to work with and more standardized at a global level. 
so really excited for both those uh, dialogues. And then also, you know, a little bit completely separately, we have been working on um, a concept called green equity, where we're bringing the same sort of system of third-party reviews into the equity market. This is something that I'm very interested to see what will happen with in 2023, because right now there is one set of green equity principles. So that's for the NASDAQ Nordic markets. So there's a small growing set of green equity companies, but here we're seeing so much interest globally, and we're seeing a lot of interest from from the Asian markets and the ASEAN region. So we actually, in in late 2021, we we worked with with CREIT uh, in the Philippines. So that was the first; they were the first renewable energy REIT in the Philippines, and and we worked with them um, to review their company before their IPO. And you know, the IPO markets this year have been a little slow because of other. Uh, conditions that have nothing to do with <laughs> with interest in green, I think. Um, but I'm now we're just seeing this interest really pick up, and I'm I'm very excited to see what will happen in in 2023 when it comes to green equity as well. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on Islamic sustainable finance and investments, log on to www.islamicsustainable.com. You can also listen to the episodes on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.